Would you take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter, chapter 3, we'll be looking at verse 7 today. Today we're going to continue our study, and as you know, if you were here last week, we talked about the role and responsibility of the wife, and uh, you know, I'd like to thank all of the men who walked by and said, honey, wasn't that a great message last week? <laughs> Actually, I'm more concerned about the men who walked by and said they were going to be ice fishing this morning or, uh, you know, something else come up. No. All right. Let me read this for you as we begin. 1 Peter 3, verse 7. Peter says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Let's pray. Father, as we take a look again at marriage and think about the role of the husband in a family, in the marriage relationship, Lord, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear what it is you want to say to us today? Help us, Lord, to listen with an eye toward application, to be doers of the word and not just hearers. And Father, I pray that the result would be stronger, healthier marriages that are centered on Christ and growing in their relationship with you and with one another, and that you would use even that, even those marriages, our relationship with one another, to be a witness to the world of the difference that Jesus makes. And we pray that in his name. Amen. Well, we live in a changing world, and I think all of us feel that in many different areas, and one of those areas is in relation to marriage. In the United States today, the percentage of married households has been declining over the last few decades. Uh, today, 47% of households are headed by a husband and wife, a married couple living together, uh, whereas in 1990, that percentage was 55%. Uh, it's been declining each year, uh, so if you are a husband and wife living together, uh, you're in the minority now. Uh, that happened about three years back where that change took place and the majority of homes in the United States are either a single uh, person or a widow or uh, couples that are living together without being married or some other kind of living arrangements that are taking place. But married couples uh, where a mom and a dad are both there present in the family are now less than half of the households in the United States. People are also waiting longer to get married. Uh, for men now, the average age is 29 years at which they get married. Uh, in the 1980s, it was 25. And for women, the average age is 27, whereas in the 80s, it was 22 years of age. And so you can see people are waiting longer, starting their careers or pursuing other interests as they uh, get established and putting off marriage. And yet in spite of all those changes and in spite of things that we know uh, with the divorce rate in America and everything, still over 90% of all adults want to get married. They want to get married. And nobody enters into marriage thinking that it's going to fail. Everybody uh, enters into marriage, you know, uh, believing that this is going to be a situation where they will live happily ever after or they wouldn't get married. I mean, they, they want to have those relationships and they are looking for it to meet needs and to be fulfilling and enjoyable. So the question is, how do we do this well? And what is it that it that takes to build a strong and healthy marriage? 
And as Christians, we believe that Christ makes a huge difference in the life of a marriage. That when two people love each other and they love God and they are committed to doing things his way, that those marriages will grow and be stronger through the years. And that's why we look to God's word as our guide in these things. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about a husband who loves his wife and the responsibilities that go with that. And again, I'm going to point out three things from this text. Number one, a husband who loves his wife will be considerate of her needs. He will be considerate of her needs. He will live with his wife in an understanding way. That's what the phrase to be considerate means. In the Greek it reads that he will, they will dwell together according to knowledge. Dwell together according to knowledge. Now think about that. Dwelling together. It's a reminder that marriage is more than just sharing the same address. And marriage is more than just living together under the same house. Marriage is the most intimate of all human relationships. In Genesis 2:24, God said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And that one flesh is a very uh, graphic way of describing not only physical intimacy, but the emotional and spiritual intimacy that is part of marriage. There's a union, an intimacy that comes into that relationship that is closer than any other human relationship. And that kind of relationship doesn't just happen automatically. It takes time and it takes understanding. And both of those are challenges that we need to overcome. It seems that time and understanding of what it takes to make a marriage work are in short supply today. We need time together as a couple. A few years ago, the Pioneer Press reported a study on people's work and their attitude toward it, and it was interesting. Uh, Over 90% of us, 91%, said we enjoy our work. Uh, We like what we do. But 68% of us said we don't like how our work encroaches on our personal and family life. In other words, people enjoy their work, but they find that their work is spilling over into those extra hours or taking away from home and family life, and they realize that. We are working longer hours. We have less free time than we did even 20 years ago. And when you add kids into the mix with their busy schedules, there are couples who feel like they are just running all the time. And it's hard. Hard to find time for one another in that mix when you're being pulled in all these different directions. We need time together as a couple. One of the verses that I share with uh, engaged couples when they meet with me for premarital counseling is this verse from Deuteronomy 24.5. It says, If a man is recently married, he must not be sent to war or have any other duty laid on him, For one year he is to be free to stay at home and bring happiness to the wife he has married. What's interesting, you go back in Deuteronomy, as far back as Moses, they recognized that marriages need time, especially at the beginning of a relationship, to bond together, to get to know each other well. And so here, uh, what he was saying in a sense is that, you know, that man was to be free from all outside responsibilities so that he could be with his wife. 
getting to know her, dwelling together according to understanding. You know, and why do I say this today in this message related to men? I think it's because women sense that distance more quickly. And men sometimes can be clueless when life is going on and it's busy and you're just kind of plowing through everything and you're thinking, work is work and then I've got this time at home and I'll take care of things then. And we just kind of move through things from one area to the other. And when life is too busy, it's often our wives who sense that distance emotionally and they sense the need to communicate and we need to be aware of that. Men, your wife needs you to listen to her and talk to her and connect with her on an emotional level. She wants to feel part of your life. She wants to know what's going on in your world and she also wants you to understand her needs as well. And that takes time and communication. Now what is it that a woman wants from her husband? Well, Willard Harley in his book, His Needs, Her Needs, identified five things, five needs that women have that are pretty common. Number one, they're looking for affection. Things like meaningful touch, a hug or a kiss. They're looking for attention in terms of uh, the husband maybe giving them a call during the day to talk, a note that's left, or maybe a gift that is a personal kind of touch, whether it's flowers or something else that she might enjoy. They're looking for those things that communicate affection. They're also looking for intimate conversation. She wants to talk to you on the feeling level and she wants you to listen to her. Honesty and openness. She wants to know what you are doing. She wants to know about your day or your plans or the things that are happening. She doesn't want to feel like there are secrets being kept or that you're kind of guarded in an area. She wants to feel like things are open. She wants financial support, the security that comes from the husband taking the leadership in that area. Doesn't mean that a woman can't work outside the home. Many do. And it doesn't mean that the man's the only one who earns an income at all. But generally, women want the men to take responsibility in this area, to take the leadership because that gives that sense of security that you know what's going on. And family commitment is also really important to a woman. She wants you to be involved with the kids, to help with them, especially when they are young, but as they get older, to be involved in their activities or attending their events. And sometimes that can be a challenge, juggling schedules. If you're busy at work and there are things going on in the kids' lives and you want to you wanna be a part of that, but you're having some conflicts, that happens. But she just wants to know that you're committed to being there as much as you can or helping with responsibilities around the home. Now I look at that list and I think, you know, that's not an unreasonable request, is it? Those aren't unreasonable things to ask. Those are things that we should be aware of and engaged in, in terms of our relationship with our wife as well as with our children. Now, every woman is different. They might put those in a different order. They might highlight other things that would be in need to them. And the only way you're going to know that is to ask. Do you know what your wife's needs are? And have you sat down to talk about that? And how are things going in your relationship? Or when was the last time you asked her 
about her day and her life or how she's doing spiritually or where her heart is at. And just listen. Just listen. A husband who loves his wife will listen to her and will be sensitive to her needs. And secondly, a husband who loves his wife will treat her with honor and respect. Uh, It's the same thing that we would desire from our wives, that they would treat us with honor and respect. And now Peter turns that around and says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate with your wives and treat them with respect. And he uses the phrase, as the weaker partner. Now what does that mean? What does he mean when he says, weaker partner? Weaker in what sense? What Peter is talking about here is physical strength primarily. You know, it's interesting, that was countercultural at the time that Peter wrote. When you go back and you look at the Greek world, uh, Aristotle argued that women were by nature inferior to men. You look at the Roman world, Roman law assumed that a woman was unable to make sound decisions on their own. In Judaism, we see that a woman was not to be a witness in court, that their testimony was not considered to be reliable. And so here you have this wider world where uh, they are looking at women as being inferior or unable to do certain things in their culture. And then comes the New Testament. And then comes Jesus' ministry. And when we look at the New Testament, we see that women were included and traveled with Jesus in his ministry. He taught them. He valued them. Uh, They were the first to see him alive and risen from the dead, which is one of those remarkable things historically in a culture where women were not considered to be reliable witnesses. I mean, if you were making this up, you certainly would have had men be the first to see Jesus alive. But the gospel writers present what happened and they share how it was the women who came to the tomb and saw Jesus first on that Easter morning. We also see in the scriptures that both Peter and Paul affirm that men and women are equal in the sight of God that we are joint heirs in Christ. And that comes up in this very verse that Peter says that we should treat our wives with respect as heirs with us of the gracious gift of life. What Peter is talking about is primarily the difference physically. When it comes to brute strength, men are 50% stronger than women on average in physical strength. In endurance, a woman's blood contains more water and 20% fewer red blood cells. And since red blood cells are what supplies oxygen to the body, she can tire more easily. There was a study done during World War II when the British factories increased their workday from 10 to 12 hours a day. The accident rate for women went up 150%, but of men, not at all. There was a difference in their capacity or ability to work those longer hours. And so I think about that. Men, if your wife is working at a job outside of the home all day, or if she is at home taking care of children and household things, and especially young children, she is going to get tired. And if she's working hard like that and you expect her to come home and take care of everything else around the home while you relax, that's not going to happen. Part of living in an understanding way 
is helping our wives to live within their limits and to share in the work at home, to share in the responsibilities, caring for the kids, putting them to bed at night or reading to them or helping with dishes or helping with things around the house that need to be done. And working that out, because that changes with each stage of life and, and the needs of the kids and the family where those tasks can be divided up and shared more evenly as kids get older. But there's another aspect of this too that we need to mention. And that is that men are never to use their physical strength to bully or hurt their wife or to intimidate them in any way. It is a sad fact that in the United States each year, there are somewhere around two and a half million reported cases of domestic abuse. Two and a half million. And some think as much as 70% of others go unreported and that the number of cases of domestic assault could be close to six million every year. Some form of physical violence against women in the home and outside the home. You know, and you think about that, and that is, that's awful. And in addition to physical violence, there are husbands who use their anger or their words to intimidate, to threaten, or to manipulate their wife. Sadly, it can happen in families in the church, too. And it needs to stop. It needs to stop. It cannot be part of our homes as people who love God. That's why God says to us as men that we are to treat our wife with respect and as an heir with you of the gracious gift of life. I like the way Peter says that. He reminds us of who our wife really is in the sight of God. Our wife is a daughter of God. She is a child of the king and she is to be treated like one. Both in this passage and again in Galatians 3.28, the scriptures declare that men and women are equal before God. But equality before God doesn't mean that we are the same. Men and women are different by design and those differences are to be affirmed and not denied. And I think one of the fallacies of our age right now is that there are many people who want to remove all distinctions between men and women as though there are no differences. Uh, Recently, there was an article in Time magazine regarding a kind of a social experiment, you would say, that's going on in Sweden at this time. Uh, Sweden is trying to be a gender-neutral country. They're the most aggressive in their policies in this. They would say they are the most progressive in what they're trying to do by eliminating gender differences. Uh, It starts at a very young age in the schools where they don't want to call boys and girls he or she. They've come up with a pronoun that is gender neutral that they'll use for all children. And really wanting to let children, you know, identify in whatever way they want to identify. And that's kind of carrying over as they get older into jobs and occupations, wanting there to be Equality, and by equality, they mean, you know, like 50% in every kind of occupation and job. And some of those that are involved in this kind of social experiment are frustrated that men still gravitate towards certain occupations and women still gravitate towards certain occupations. 
But one of the things that they said in that article was that uh, the men in particular are afraid to say anything, to speak up, for fear that it might cost them their job uh, if they disagree with this policy. It might cost them an advancement in their place of work, and so they're sort of remaining silent. Now here's a social experiment trying to say that there's no difference between men and women in the things that we do or should have an interest in or in how we go about our life. But that's not what the Scripture would say. The Scripture would say that we are different because God has made us that way. We are made in the image of God, but we are made male and female. And together we reflect the glory of God. And there is something intrinsic in being a man and there is something intrinsic in being a woman that honors God and both are to be valued. A number of years ago, John Piper wrote a helpful booklet called What's the Difference? Manhood and Womanhood Defined According to the Bible. And he shared this story about his mom and dad. He said, when I was growing up in Greenville, South Carolina, my father was away from home about two-thirds of every year. His dad was an evangelist, and he traveled a lot, and in those days, a lot of that travel was by car and road trips where he would go away and preach across the country. And while he was away, he said, we would pray. My mom and my older sister and I, we would pray, and what I learned in those days was that my mother was omnicompetent. She could do anything. She handled the finances, she paid the bills, she dealt with the bank and creditors. She once ran a little laundry business on the side. She was active on the park board. She served as the superintendent of our uh, Sunday school. Uh, She taught me how to cut the grass, how to splice electric cord, pull Bermuda grass by the roots, and paint the eaves and shine the dining room table with a chamois. She taught me how to drive a car, how to keep french fries from getting soggy in the cooking oil. She helped me with maps and geography and showed me how to do a bibliography and how to work up a science project on static electricity and believe that Algebra two was possible to learn. She dealt with the contractors when we added a basement and more than once she put her hand to the shovel. It never occurred to me there was anything that she couldn't do. I heard one time that women don't sweat, they glow. Not true, my mother sweated, he said. It would drip off the end of her long, sharp nose, and sometimes she would blow it off when her hands were pushing the wheelbarrow full of peat moss, or she would wipe it with her sleeve between the strokes of a swing blade. Mother was strong. I can remember her arms even today, 30 years later. They were big, and in the summertime, they were bronze. But it never occurred to me to think of my mother and my father in the same category. Both were strong. Both were bright, both were kind, both would kiss me and both would spank me. Both were good with words, both prayed with fervor and loved the Bible. But unmistakably, my father was a man and my mother was a woman. And they knew it and I knew it. And it was not mainly a biological fact, it was mainly a matter of personhood and relational dynamics. When my father came home, he was clearly the head of the house. He led in prayer at the table. He called the family together for devotions. He got us to Sunday school and worship. He drove the car. He guided the family to where we would sit. He made the decision to go to Howard Johnson's for lunch. He led us to the table. He called for the waitress. He paid the check. 
He was the one who, knew, who we knew we would reckon with if we broke a family rule or if we were disrespectful to mother. And these were the happiest times for mother. Oh, how she rejoiced to have daddy home. She loved his leadership, and later I learned that the Bible calls this submission. He went on to describe the relationship that they had with one another, and he said, you know, it never occurred to me that leadership and submission had anything to do with superiority and inferiority. It doesn't. And it didn't have anything to do with muscles and skills either. It was not a matter of capabilities and competencies. It had to do with something I could never have explained as a child. And it's been a long time in me coming to understand it. I have come to see it as part of God's great goodness in creating us male and female. And it had to do with something very deep. I see that that maleness and femaleness are rooted in God. And over the years I've come to see from Scripture and from life that manhood and womanhood are the beautiful handiwork of a good and loving God. He designed our differences and they are profound. You know, and so what John Piper is getting at, which I fully agree, is how those differences, not only are they by design, but they are to be celebrated and affirmed. That there is something uniquely different about men and women. And when we commit our life to Jesus Christ and let him to work through us, he shines through in ways that honor him. A godly husband will understand that. A godly husband will honor and respect his wife. And he will love her and he will protect her. He will value her wisdom and her abilities. And he will prize her and help her grow as a joint heir in Christ. And thirdly, a husband who loves his wife will do all of these things so that nothing will hinder your prayers. You see that last line there in verse 7. He tells us that we are to honor our wives so that nothing will hinder our prayers. That's a profound statement. What Peter is saying here is that not to do these things is sin. To fail to do these things is sin and will hinder your relationship with God. It is our sin that separates us from God. In Isaiah 59, 2, the scripture says that your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. And I think of how the Apostle John in in his letter in 1 John questioned, how can we say we love God and yet hate our brother? And he comes back to that, how our faith is to be shown in the way that we live. And so if we really love God, that love is going to spill over in our relationships to one another. And I would ask the question in marriage, how can we say we love God and hate our spouse? We can't. We can't do that. That if we really love God, we will love our spouse and work toward the best in our marriage. God calls us to love our wife as Christ loves the church. Willingly, totally, sacrificially, unconditionally. We see that in Jesus' example. I remember once uh, talking with a husband who had come into my office. He was sharing about some of the difficulties that they were having. And he just felt like God wasn't hearing his prayers. And I asked him, I said, why do you think that is? Why do you think that God is not answering your prayers? And he said, because things aren't right between me and my wife. And he was right in that. 
We need to put first things first. And where there's sin in our relationship, we need to confess that to God and ask for his forgiveness and ask for his power to change us from the inside out. And if a husband and wife will do that, if they will put God first and they choose to do things God's way, then all of the resources of heaven are available to us to work at our relationship or to grow in Christ. And so men, do you love your wife unconditionally? And are you willing to give up some of your rights for her? Some of those things that you may perceive as a right on your part that are actually uh, hindering. Maybe they're taking too much time. Maybe they're pulling you away from your family. Or maybe they are just something that is not building you up or building her up, and it should change. Are you willing to do that for the sake of a strong and healthy marriage? A husband who loves his wife will do these things. He will accept the responsibility to be the spiritual leader of his home. He will encourage the kids in their relationship with God. He'll read from the scripture or he'll lead in prayer for the family and share with his kids. He'll be an example of what it means to walk with Christ and to point others to him. A husband who loves his wife will not demand to be served. He's not going to demand that kind of submission, but he will give himself to serve. And by his attitude and heart, he will earn the respect of his wife. He will be considerate of his wife and of her needs and seek to understand that and work at it. And he will treat her with honor and respect as a co-heir in Christ. Amen. what I'd say is that as you take a look and you think about those things that I've shared today and you go back to the scripture once again, what I would say is that where you see that you have fallen short or you've missed the mark, be honest, confess that, own up to it, ask for forgiveness, and turn from it. And where you see truth in this and you go, you know what, that's really good. That is, that's really something that I should be working at or doing. Then I encourage you to hear and obey, to put it into practice in your life, and to start doing that today, this week. Put it into practice. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word, it is just filled with practical wisdom, godly counsel, truth that only you can give. And Lord, I do pray that you would help us all, and I think about the husbands here, to love our wives and to be sensitive to their needs, to be one who encourages them to grow in Christ and who helps them to do that. And Father, would you just show us where we've fallen short and where we can do better and grow in our understanding of what that means. And on the other side, Lord, for those that are doing this well, I just pray that you would encourage and affirm and build up those guys that are really working hard at this. And may their wives be ones who appreciate and affirm them for the effort that they are making. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.